Hello there, and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my music career roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Music Career Show. Hello and welcome back to the Music Career Show. So my guest today is a Grammy-nominated mandolin player who is quickly becoming one of the leading figures and content creators in the mandolin world today. He has performed in Nashville and he's toured all around the world with the band Mile 12. He runs a very successful YouTube and Patreon channel and today he's here to talk to us all about it. So this is Mr. David Benedict. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been an admirer of yours for a good long while. Me, as a guitar player that can play mandolin, I am just in awe of all the things that that you do and all your 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 production and stuff on YouTube. And uh, so it is. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to get to pick your brain about all these things. Um, but just for anyone listening that maybe isn't familiar with you just yet, why don't you introduce yourself, tell people all about you and what it is that you do? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I um, I started playing mandolin when I was, I guess, about 13 years old and quickly got sucked into the black hole surrounding the instrument and all the cool things that kind of um, are involved with the mandolin. The mandolin just has like a really interesting community um, compared to other instruments, I guess like the guitar world is great too, but it's just so big. And in the mandolin world, um, you have this really close contact with, uh, all these amazing players. So I grew up listening to folks like Mike Marshall and, and Sierra Hull and Chris Thiele. And, um, just by playing and by, um, being more involved in that community, gotten to meet folks like that and have, uh, arrived at where I am right now, where I just play mandolin all the time, basically, and get to make content for other mandolin players. Yeah, for anyone who's unfamiliar with what I do, I just um, basically play the mandolin. I run this YouTube channel that you mentioned where I offer mandolin lessons to folks who want to learn how to play this instrument. And I also run this other YouTube series called Mandolin Mondays, where every Monday I get to feature a mandolin player from around the world. And it's co-hosted on my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Um, but in addition to that, I just love playing and I play in uh, a couple different groups. Um, right now, I've been focusing on this group with my wife. We're called the Foreign Landers and we get to play um, kind of a mix of bluegrass and Celtic music and um, do some touring and recording from home. But that's about it right now. So you mentioned there, yeah, that you started playing mandolin um, at age 13. Now, where I'm from, mandolin would not necessarily be uh, someone's first instrument. In fact, I don't know if I know anybody. Uh, apart from yourself now, who mandolin would be their first instrument. So how did, what, like, why did um, mandolin stand out to you more than, more so than like the likes of guitar or, or even fiddle? Yeah, um, well, to be honest, I did play a little guitar first and that was kind of my yeah. entry into the string music world. But um, I think it was yeah. because I wanted to play the mandolin, but I didn't know of anyone nearby who played mandolin, who, who taught mandolin lessons. Yeah. Um, and even here in South Carolina where I grew up, um, I'm sure there were tons of mandolin players out there. I just didn't have, you know, the the knowledge to ask someone or didn't know who to reach out to about that. So we found a guitar player who taught lessons and I took lessons from him for a couple of years, but it didn't really stick um, because I was hoping to learn the mandolin. And then one day um, when I was 13, my dad brought home this mandolin kind of as a surprise and um, just started noodling away at it. And I didn't have a teacher at the time. Like I mentioned, there's just no one around that I knew of. So I just yeah. learned how to play from 
like tab books or, um, you know, from videos online, YouTube was just starting out at the time, mm. which I benefited from greatly. Um, so, uh, that was, that was kind of my, my entry into the instrument. Okay. Fantastic. And I believe you went on to actually do a music, a uh, music degree, I should say in mandolin. I did. Yeah. Um, it was, it was kind of a, a long story, but I was getting towards the end of high school and I only been playing mandolin for a few years and only gotten serious about it towards the end of high school. And, um, you know, I w- was getting time to go off to college and I didn't know what to study just cause I didn't really have a whole lot of serious interests in school. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to go to school. What's what on earth, you know, what I enjoy. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, yeah. maybe music. But uh, in playing only mandolin, really, it kind of limits your options as far as musical education goes. There are a few programs in the States like um, ETSU in Johnson City, Tennessee, that offer bluegrass programs. And then like the Berklee College of Music up in Boston has a roots music program, too. But um, I ended up going to this other school. It was called Bryan College. And um, at the time in high school, I was really into classical music and into Celtic music didn't really play a whole lot of bluegrass to be honest. Um, and I didn't want to just study bluegrass. So I found Brian college that was kind of willing to let me build my own program and do more of a, a traditional music degree while also adding in some classes that I could, you know, basically build my own curriculum to have a, a music performance degree with the mandolin. Um, oh. and, and the funny thing is I, I like to tell people it was a bachelor's of science somehow at the end of the day. And so it was like a BS degree in all senses of the word. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, fair enough. That's um, I, I, I've never come across that one. Now I have to say that you were able to write your own curriculum, um, basically. But that, um, yeah, I suppose you were very lucky to find that. Um, so you were saying you're into like Celtic music and stuff like that. That sounds very Irish to me. How did that? Uh, like, who who were your influences there? Right. Yeah. I um. Well, when I was first getting into mandolin. I um, became friends with these folks who were playing in an Irish band in Clemson, South Carolina, where I grew up. And um, they were called Emerald Road. And I'm still really good friends with a lot of the folks who played in that band. And they got me into like Irish fiddle tunes, which was the first type of kind of aural music that I played on the mandolin. Um, I think the first tune I learned was Britches Full of Stitches. I don't know if you know that one. It's like a polka. Yeah. And and it got me hooked. And I was starting to play jigs and reels and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, we would just play at a, a local Irish pub in Anderson, South Carolina, not far from where I grew up. And, you know, we'd play there maybe once or twice a month yeah. and had other gigs here and there. So that was my first experience really getting to play with other people in a, in a performance setting. And um, it got, you know, me excited about playing music in general. And I still like to play Irish music a lot. You know, my wife Tabitha is from Northern Ireland, like we were talking about. And um, it's funny, she has kind of the opposite story where she got into bluegrass banjo first. And, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland, which is really unusual uh, to play like five string banjo. Um, But then like came around and started learning Irish traditional stuff um, later on. So we had kind of like this reversal of roles. But now that, you know, we live together here in the States, we um, we try to learn, you know, both sides of the Atlantic's uh, musical traditions a bit more. You know, we try to, you know, egg each other on to learn more fiddle tunes, both from the Irish side of things and from here in the States. Um, and I don't know, it's like, it's something I really enjoy playing. I remember uh, listening to John Doyle a lot growing up. He was one of my favorite guitar players and still is. And his yeah. song, uh, his record Wayward Son is still like one of my favorite records of all time, even though there's no mandolin on there. It's just like so great. And his work with Liz Carroll uh, was really inspiring too. Um, and other fiddlers like Martin Hayes have been really um, influential too. So nice. all sorts of folks. But I mean, like in the mandolin side of things, um, I feel like there's not quite as many people to listen to, sadly, as there are like bluegrass mandolin players. I wish there were more uh, people to take uh, cues from. But also, you know, Marla Fibbish, she's amazing on the mandolin, does Irish stuff. And the, the late, great David Surrett was a, you know, a big muse to an Irish stuff in the mandolin world. Um, but I, who, who do you listen to as far as uh, Irish mandolin players? Who do I listen to? Um, well, I only know one other Irish mandolin player and he's been on the podcast already. Uh, his name is Dave Brown. He's part of a band called the Black Donnellys. Um, they nice. tour around America. They, they, they're sort of based in um, Las Vegas playing in... Um, are you anywhere near Charlotte? Yeah, a couple hours from Charlotte. Yeah, got a couple of hours. I've, there, there's one of the chain of Irish pubs. Reraw is in. Um, there's one in Charlotte. No, Charlotte, North Carolina, is it? 
mm-hmm. North Carolina, and you're in South Carolina. I am, yeah, but we're we're close to the border, um, so we we pass through Charlotte quite a lot, um, and it's Charlotte's even closer to the border, where I think there's some suburbs that are also in South Carolina too. All right, cool. Yeah, well, uh, the 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 guys that, that I listen to, Dave, uh, that both of them are called Dave, actually from the Black Donnellys. They they would have played in um, in Charlotte in in North Carolina. Um, I actually done that circuit myself about eight years ago, where I played in Reraw in. Uh, there was one in Atlantic City, and there was one in Georgetown in Washington D.C. Nice, um, yeah. So I've 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 played in a few of them. But as far as Irish mandolin players go, that's really the only one that I know. Um, in in terms of my mandolin playing, I um like I said at the start, I am a guitar player first and foremost that can play mandolin. So like. I know from watching your videos, your mandolins are just absolute works of art. Whereas my mandolins are like the one I play at the moment, an Epiphone Mando bird. Nice. Oh, just because, yeah. It's 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 so much fun to play and it looks it looks the part. It's so, so cool. Yeah, and the acoustic set. ones were just so awkward and hard for me to play coming from an electric guitar background. So I was like, I get that. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah. So um suppose I like um the wolf tones and Dubliners and all that, all that great stuff. And you kind of just, um, like, like you were saying, it's, it's all aural. It's all, um, proper, like traditional stuff. You just play what you hear basically. Um, mm. so that, that's, that's how, how I know what to do on mandolin. Um, I've never had a single lesson on mandolin or anything. I, I actually still can't figure out where I am. I know exactly where I am in any given key on, on a guitar, but I just, for whatever reason, can't translate it over to a mandolin. So I have no idea what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> Oh, that's how I feel on the guitar. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good fun though. It's good fun because you, you, you sometimes you sort of you you you'll know yourself that if you're if you're playing away, you just sort of happen upon lovely little melodies that you'd never be able to play if you actually thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just just pure um, just pure happenstance, and it, and it works out really really well. So why age were you then when you started gigging? You mentioned that you you started playing a couple of times a month in the, in an Irish in the Irish pub in in Anderson there. But like, what what age were you? That's a good question. I think I was probably like maybe fifteen or sixteen at the time. And, oh wow! Um, and you were you were yeah. you were allowed in 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 the bars and the pubs at that stage, were you? At that age, I was. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd thinking about it now, but um, I didn't even question it growing up. I was with you know just friends, and you know sometimes my parents would come too. So. Yeah. I guess there was you know adult supervision there, but um, we would play other spots too. Like there was um like a few festivals that happened around town that always wanted like an Irish band or um, sometimes like playing in churches as well. Like there were some like Celtic choir events that we would perform for, um, and then also in in the church that I grew up in as well. Um, a lot of the bandmates went to the same church, and we would you know do a lot of the worship music or. And we would just get together and um, play at the church for, you know, the congregation members too. So, yeah, um, yeah there was a lot of opportunities, which I'm so thankful for now. I feel like without outlets like that, it's really hard to put, you know, put the rubber to the road as a as a learning musician. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're just practicing for no reason. Um, but when you yeah. have that that medium or that that way of expressing yourself musically for people with other people, that's where... I feel like it starts to make sense and you get more inspiration to keep going and to learn more. Um, at least that was my experience. Brilliant. Yeah. That seems to be a huge thing over in the States is estates is, um, worship music. Um, where like you nearly have like full on like productions and stuff for, for church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The church that I was in, they would do, um, it wasn't like anything super fancy, but, um, in fact, like living in Nashville, going to some churches out, out there, it is a huge production. Like when you when you yeah. go to church in Music City, it's like going to a concert almost. But yeah, um, I've, I've I've seen like rig rundowns of my worship rig, and I'm like, what's the difference between your worship rig and your like arena rig? Like, I know, do you know what I mean? yeah, I, yeah. I'm not a, like huge into that kind of stuff, and I don't honestly like like love a lot of the modern worship music just because it feels so commercial. But um. Uh, but yeah, the church that I grew up in was like an awesome space to try stuff out. And you know, the, the music leader there was very generous to me and I did like an internship with them for a while and they taught me how to use programs like finale, you know, that, like I use yeah, yeah. now for transcribing mandolin stuff and, um, just got a lot of experience there that I'm really grateful for. Very handy. Yeah. Very, very good. So when did the bluegrass side of things then come into it? If you, if you kind of half started off on, on, on the Irish stuff and the Celtic stuff, when did bluegrass come in? Yeah, I think it was um, 
probably later on in college, when I went to college in Chattanooga, um, I was just two hours away from Nashville and I started taking lessons with this guy named Matt Flinner, who at the time I didn't really know much about his music. And it wasn't until like I started working with him and after I started working with him that I I realized like he's a pretty big deal, like in the mandolin world. And, you know, I've gotten so much uh, direction and help from him over the years. He's just been a huge mentor to me, which I'm really thankful for. And he was the guy who got me into um, bluegrass in particular, but I mean, he showed me a lot of different music, got me into um, like what they call dog music from David Grisman, who, you know, kind of took bluegrass sentiments and combined it together with gypsy jazz music and um, kind of created a genre of his own and other oh. styles of music that the mandolin has become known for in the past few decades. So he, he, like showed me a lot of this stuff and he was up in Nashville at the time. So I would go visit him, you know, drive a couple hours, take a lesson. And then he would recommend, you know, me go visit some bluegrass jams that happened in Nashville while I was visiting. And, um, that, I think that started getting me interested in, in it more seriously. Um, but it wasn't until I guess I, um, I graduated college. I was able to graduate in a couple of years just cause I was homeschooled growing up, you know, as a nerd and took a bunch of like dual enrollment classes. So I was able to get through school pretty quick, which I'm thankful for. And then moved up to Nashville because that seemed like the next, you know, step to take for someone who wanted to play professionally. Um, So I I was there and um, was just kind of immersed in the bluegrass community around that area. Just that's probably like the hotbed for bluegrass, especially now in the past couple decades, there's been so many folks who've moved there or moved back to that town. Um, So there's jams happening like every night. There's the legendary station in um, the, the bluegrass venue right downtown where there's, amazing concerts every night that you can go to. Um, so just like the immersion, it's almost like learning a language, you know, we move to that country to learn the language the quickest yeah. and the most thorough. Um, so I just, I was surrounded so much. I started playing it more and had more opportunities to gig playing bluegrass again, having outlets for it. Um, so that was, that was kind of like my, my extended education, my further education. I got like a, a fake masters in bluegrass by going to Nashville. Love it. Yeah. Kind of, kind of sink or swim sort of situation. You either played bluegrass or you didn't play, basically. Definitely, yeah. Cool. So, what's Nashville like then? Because I've, I, it's, it's big time on my to do list. Um, and anyone I've ever spoken to about that, like in, in, in this sort of world, I suppose if you want to call it, has said that's been to Nashville. They've said Nashville is just the absolute bomb diggity. So it is. Um, <laughs> what, what was it like playing in Nashville? Yeah, I'm sure you'd love it, man. It's, it's scary being there in some ways just because there's so much history and so many amazing people who live there. Um, and and it's tough too, just because I mean, first year or so I lived there, I didn't have any gigs and had to work like part-time at a, like a catering company to to make ends meet. And I was living in this terrible apartment, um, (laughs) like really sketchy apartment and, uh, you know, paying 200 bucks a month on rent, but we actually got what we paid for because it wasn't that much. Um, and, I don't know. It, the, the competition is both good and bad because you feel like this inspiration with all this great music happening around you, but you also do feel a little overwhelmed and, you know, it's a little, you know, dog yeah. eat dog world. Um, the, but thankfully, like most people in the bluegrass community are very welcome, welcoming and kind. And I eventually got plugged into um, to working with this bass player, Missy Rains, who's an amazing bass player. Um, and at the time she was kind of making a departure from bluegrass and doing some more progressive stuff with like a drum kit and electric guitar. And she also had a mandolin player in the band at the time and they were looking for a replacement. So I got to fill in with them for a couple of years, which was really fun. Um, and yeah, and I I think as soon as I started having opportunities, it became like a really fun place to be just because you felt like you didn't have to prove yourself. You didn't have to like, you know, um, win people's affection or attention, you know, just, being around the music and appreciating it was really special. And even whenever I get to go back, you know, it's really special because, um, you know, it's just, it's a strange place. <laughs> All these musicians living in one, one area together. And, um, yeah. and yeah, it's just a, a kind of a site to, to wonder at almost all the music, all the craziness that happens downtown. The food there is amazing. The coffee there is incredible. So, um, yeah, I think you'd love it, man. You should go check it out for sure. Yeah, it's it's absolutely on my um on my to-do list because my um my understanding of it is, and now you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's one of the only places on earth that you can like have a full-time job as a, a gigging musician. The only other place that I know of is Temple Bar in Dublin. Um <laughs> yeah. and also Clark Key in Singapore. 
um, I know that you can be a full-time musician there and actually make a decent living. But Nashville seems like that as well. That like you could literally live in Nashville and then your 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 day to day is like I'd, I'd like it is just playing music. It is crazy. Like if you do go downtown, there is literally music happening at every single bar and every street corner. There's a musician busking. Um, I didn't I didn't do too much of that just because like mandolin's like a little bit of a tough instrument to busk with. It's really quiet and you know like fighting mm-hmm. against drum sets and electric basses yeah, and yeah, guitars. Yeah. Um, it's it can be challenging, but um, but I have friends who um like there's this great fiddle player named Hillary Klug. I don't know if you know about her. She's like become a social media phenomenon recently. And, um, she has like millions of followers online, but she does that a lot. She'll go downtown Nashville and busk, especially on like big event weekends. And I think she'll just make a, a killing, you know, yeah, because there's just so many people around so many people tipping and so many people, uh, so many opportunities to take. Um, so yeah, I can imagine that being like one of the only spots that people could make a living, not having to travel and playing yeah. music and playing gigs. Yeah. So what did, uh, cause this, this is something that I, that I myself, um, I'm very, very interested in. Uh, and I think an awful lot of my listeners, my listeners to hear me, honest to God, who do I think I am? The listeners of the podcast <laughs> would, uh, be really interested to know is like, what was, so you, you were, you were kind of gigging full time with, with, with Missy Rains and her band. What was, a typical day in the life of a working Nashville musician. Yeah, it was it was pretty flexible at the time. I feel like more busy since I've I've left Nashville in some ways. Um, but at the time, I was I I was playing with Missy, but it wasn't necessarily full time. You know, we did maybe three or four bigger tours in the year and had like one off weekends or gigs here and there too. So maybe right. like fifty shows a year with her. Um, and then. Uh, in between you know we just play pickup gigs at a local bar sometimes or you know if there are other events nearby um would play those what else would i do i'm trying to think now i would i also taught a lot of private lessons at the time and um i taught lessons down at one of my favorite stores in the world it's called carter vintage guitars um like they've got the best mandolin selection out of any you know brick and mortar store in the world i think it's pretty amazing i'm taking um, over that one as well what was that one called yeah it's called carter vintage guitars and vintage uh, it's owned by walter and christy carter of the carter family you know like mabel carter and um all them june and, carter, uh, no? yeah exactly yeah yeah no way really uh-huh class yep so they've got a huge you know family history there and um they yeah like walter carter is kind of like one of the lead experts on like mandolin appraisal and and um history and stuff like that apologies yeah. for dogs barking in the background there <laughs> <laughs> just wanting to get involved um yeah. that's amazing that's so so cool um brilliant and were you getting a lot of work as uh was it uh, i'm presuming it was uh mandolin lessons you were teaching yeah i um let's see at the at the time i don't know maybe I had a roster of like a dozen students or so that i'd meet with really? every week or so and um would teach some online and um that's how I learned a lot too. I did a lot of online lessons before getting to Nashville. And also, uh, once I was in Nashville, I, I keep taking lessons from a few folks. Like I took lessons from Mike Compton, amazing, you know, Monroe style bluegrass mandolin player who lived in town and also took lessons from this crazy, amazing fiddler named Billy Contreras. I wasn't like playing fiddle, but I just took music lessons from him on the mandolin. Fair and enough, um, yeah. that was super inspiring too. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, the day-to-day was pretty, I don't know, it was variable. Like I would just wake up and make coffee and got to practice a lot more back then, which was nice. Focused yeah. on kind of a lot of self-development and, um, you know, learning and listening. Um, I remember reading a lot back then, which was really nice too. And then, wow. uh, you know, I in the evening times, like... I know, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've done that in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, same here, man. But, uh, and then, yeah, in the evening, you know, getting to take advantage of all the amazing shows that happened uh, too. like, if you had a night off, like going to the station Inn or to third and Lindsley or, um, you know, the Ryman's right there too. uh, the crazy stuff. Uh, I actually never went to the Opry while I was there. So I, so really? enough, I need to go check that out. Um, but that's another, you know, huge attraction there. Um, yeah. and, and all those jams too that happened, you know, in between like getting to go to friends' houses and playing bluegrass tunes until the wee hours of the morning. Um, that I guess that was about it, really. <laughs> so simpler <Yeah>. time. 
yeah, a, a simpler time. I, I did something similar. I used to live in Spain um, playing in Irish pubs and actually the same, kind of the same thing as you with the bluegrass. I was never into Irish music until I moved to Spain and I had no choice nice. because I was playing in in um, in Irish pubs. But yeah, it's sort, sort of kind of similar. If you ever had a night off, you'd go and see your friends playing and then you'd yeah. often end up back on a balcony somewhere playing, just playing tunes. Like, And it was the exact same set that you'd played a million times at this stage. Um <laughs> a right simpler time, a, a much, much simpler time as uh as 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 you said yourself. Like I, I do remember every now and then sitting out on the balcony reading. Can't remember uh-huh. the last time I, I had I had time to do that. Um did that, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's mad. I have to I have to consume uh, books in audiobook format now, um, while I'm doing two other things at the same time, just so that I, I can know, actually yeah. get it in. Like, do you know what I mean? Well, um, man. It'll get you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're nominated for a Grammy. What's the crack there? Oh yeah, that was like a huge surprise. Um, and I w- it wasn't like you know my own personal album that was nominated for a Grammy. I was That's part of this record that I got to play on with Missy Rains, and um, I forget what year it was like maybe 2019 something like that. Um, okay. this record she did called Royal Traveler was nominated for the the best bluegrass album of the year Grammy Award, which was a huge honor to be a part of that. Um, I, I think I played on maybe three or four tracks on that record and they, they did it at um, the compass recording studio, the compass records studio in Nashville, um, which was like a really famous studio back in the day. I think like the outlaw country artists like, uh, like Waylon uh, Jennings did a bunch of stuff there. Willie Nelson did a bunch of stuff there. So it was just an amazing experience getting to record um, a few tracks there also with, some of my favorite musicians. It was my first time getting to work with fiddle player Stuart Duncan, who is um, like probably my favorite fiddle player of all time and the most recorded fiddle player in all of history, I think, at this point. Really? And um, and then also Allison Brown was was playing banjo. She's a legendary banjo player and amazing artist and was also kind of helping produce the session. So getting to see her work was really special. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, was just like surprised when they, they made that announcement. I was like, wow, that's like crazy to think about stuff like that happening and was just really thankful that um you know it got to be a small part of it for sure that's amazing so did 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 you get any of the like did you did you go to the grammys did the album win the grammy what happened it it didn't win unfortunately not i forget which album won that year but um i didn't get to go to the grammys but i think missy did with um her husband ben who was the engineer for the session and was just so happy for them because missy is like been involved in the industry for so long played with Claire Lynch and her band for many years and then has been doing her own thing for like over a decade now. And, um, you know, she's gotten a bunch of other accolades. Like she's been the international bluegrass music associations bass player of the year, which is like a really big award in bluegrass for, um, I guess like 10 or 11 times running. Um, so she, I mean like well-deserved to also be nominated for a Grammy too. Right, so when you're not off getting uh, nominated for Grammys left, right, and center, you were also away touring the world with uh, Mile 12, is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. when I was uh, living in Nashville, uh, I knew uh, this the folks who were in Mile 12, they were a quartet at the time, and I'd met them at a few different festivals, you know, just around the States. That's another fun thing about bluegrass is that you just meet up with each other all these big bluegrass events around around the country and around the world. But um, yeah. so I'd, I'd gotten to know them just because we were about the same age and really interested in bluegrass, um, which is kind of a bit of an anomaly, like having young people like really seriously. Interested yeah, in I, I, I understand you. I, I yeah, get you. there's not there's not too many of us out there. So you kind of take note of other you know like players who are serious about starting a band and wanting yeah. to make a, a full time go of it. So they were looking for a mandolin player at the time and asked me to join them. So I I decided to transition from Missy's band to go up to Boston to start playing with the the mile 12 folks. And, um, it was a great experience. Like I, I love those guys so much and still do like, even though I'm not playing with them currently, um, I, I played with them for about five years and we, we traveled the world really. It was crazy. Um, we did not only like the States and Canada, but we also got to do some in Ireland, some in England. And we went to Europe as well. We did like France and Belgium and, um, we also did Japan, which was a crazy trip. We did like 10 days in Japan and also nice. Australia and New Zealand. So, um, I got to see like a lot of the world places I never thought I'd actually go, um, yeah. and got to, you know, play music with some of my best friends, which was 
an incredible experience that I'm so thankful for. That does sound amazing. Where was your like, where was your favorite place? Yeah, I would have to say like Japan and New Zealand were probably my two favorites. Um, we actually got to go to Japan uh, in the spring and it was right during cherry blossom season. Somehow it just worked oh, out nice. that way. So we got to go through um, like kind of the old town of Kyoto and we walked this place called the philosopher's path, which was probably my favorite part of the whole trip. And, you know, cherry blossoms on either side of this long, um, this long Creek, this river that was, you know, flowing for like four or five miles and just walked the entire thing, got to see some of the old shrines and the amazing, like beautiful boutique stores and tea shops. And, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And there's so much like bluegrass over there too, which is wild. I think it's maybe the the second or third largest place for bluegrass in the world, second to like Japan. the States and maybe the Czech Republic is second. I forget, but um, yeah, Japan has like got a huge history. It's actually got the longest running bluegrass festival of all time is still really? going in Japan. It's not the States. It's, you know, it's, it's Japan, which is amazing. Um, they even have like, um, I mentioned the station Inn, which is kind of like the hub of bluegrass music and, in america i'd say in mm -hmm. some ways it's a small like maybe 100 seat venue it's a hole in the wall you know and they serve popcorn yeah. and budweiser and stuff like that and, and it's nothing fancy but it's like a special place and they have a version of that in japan it's called rocky top and it's in like the third story of a an industrial building in the financial district of tokyo <laughs> and you know you Amazing. go up these these tiny little stairs and you get to this hole in the wall room and all this bluegrass paraphernalia plaster against the walls and pictures of like Del McCurry and David Grispin playing at the venue, um, like hanging on the walls there. So um, that was like an incredible experience. And I'd love to go back because, um, yeah, the people there are just so friendly. And uh, yeah, yeah it's it an amazing, amazing time. Japan is another big um, to-do list for me. Um, I was I, I grew up like obsessed with like Pokemon and and all totally, that other, yeah. like like pokemon and nintendo and like everything i own is either van halen or um like nintendo stuff so like totally, on, yeah. on my car key i've got a, like a really old 8-bit like link from legend of zelda um oh, so yeah i i, I like i yeah i i love it i grew up loving all that sort of stuff um and i would love to get to japan um yeah. one day so i'm so jealous of anyone that says that they've um they've gigged there i had another guy on the podcast a few weeks ago or probably a couple of months ago now um and he was saying that um he toured japan about 20 years ago and same as what you're saying is that the people are just the most friendly people are just absolutely amazing they can't do enough for you all the culture and i was surprised that like you're, i'm so surprised at what you're saying that japan is like the second biggest place for bluegrass in the world i never yeah. ever ever would have thought that I, like the nation that gave us karaoke do you know what i mean like i know right? um, it's hilarious that's the funny thing is you mentioned uh nintendo like i'm a huge nintendo fan as well and i forget if it's I forget who it is, but one of like the character design uh, staff, like who's been with the the company for a long time, plays banjo and plays guitar and like loves bluegrass yes. music. I don't know if it's Miyamoto or if it's like um someone else. You know, like one of the big names is like really into bluegrass, which is so cool. Um, uh, yeah, you can actually. I feel like you can kind of hear a lot of bluegrass elements in some of the the music that like Kochi Kondo made for uh, like the bluegrass or for the um the Pokemon series and for the other games that yeah. he's written for. Absolutely. Cool. The, the the tune that comes to mind is um in Ocarina of Time when you're at the the ranch and you're on that like mission where you have to go around on the horse. Sure, yeah. Definitely. And that's like as pure bluegrass, as mental like Absolutely. even yeah, yeah. and Joe Kazooie. Uh-huh. There we go. Do you know what I mean? Um Indeed. I never thought I, I I really didn't expect to be talking about Nintendo oh. <laughs> on this. This is brilliant. It's great, yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, so Japan um, and New Zealand, you reckon were uh, what, what, what's what's New Zealand like? Yeah, New Zealand was great. We um in mile twelve, uh, uh, the banjo player, her name is BB Bowness, and she's originally from the the North Island of New Zealand. Oh, so cool. she's um, she moved to the states because she played banjo and wanted to be around bluegrass music more, which is crazy. So she moved to Boston and. Um, and she was kind of our tour guide whenever we got to tour there, which was amazing. Uh, and it was beautiful. Like, I wish we'd gotten to see some of the South Island too, because I hear it's even, you know, prettier with all the the kind of wilderness and the the beautiful sights outside that they have down there. But the North Island was great. We went to like uh, Auckland and 
uh, Wellington and where else do we go? Uh, a few other cities, I guess, Hamilton. And there's actually, um, a, a bluegrass band from Hamilton. I think they're called the Hamilton County bluegrass band. And they were the first bluegrass band to ever come out of New Zealand. It was amazing. They got invited to go play Bill Monroe's festival. I I forget when it was like down, maybe like the seventies or eighties, they flew over from New Zealand to, you know, be in Blossom, Indiana to play the festival, which was an incredible thing. You know, first bluegrass band from New Zealand, you know, BB was really inspired by them. We got to meet a few of the members, which was amazing. And, um, there was, there's a big scene down there as well. Like, I feel like, um, there's some really promising players coming from, from New Zealand too. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we felt the kind of similar how we felt in Japan, just like really welcomed and the sites were just amazing and the, the people were really interested in the music, which was pretty cool. <laughs> Cool, that's brilliant. I'd really love to go. Again, another to-do list. Just I, I want to go everywhere, but so I, I may start like practicing my mandolin and get to all these places. But I'd love to go yeah. to New Zealand to see all um like the Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah, you got to do it, man. Okay, so you've been at th- at this point, you've been playing for years. You've you've done Nashville. You've got your all your Grammys. You've toured the world. Um, when did um the likes of YouTube and stuff come in? Yeah, that's a good question. Um. I I think it was like maybe 2013 or 14. It was still in Nashville at the time, but what, it was before I had many gigs. And I was like, what do I do with my time? And hmm. I just decided to start this Mandolin Monday series. Um, and at the beginning, it was just kind of like a personal challenge that I wanted to see if I could like learn a new song and arrange it and perform it and record it and share it with people online like every Monday. Um, just because you got to love alliteration. Everyone loves alliteration, you know, the Monday, you can't bet. Exactly right. Yeah. So it, it just kind of started that way. And um, I don't think anyone knew who I was at the time and still probably doesn't know who I was. But the, it's funny, like people have gotten to know the series just because the Mandolin Cafe has gotten behind it and started featuring it every week. And um, at the time, like I said, it was just me. But then afterwards, um, after 52 weeks, I was like kind of done with it. I was like, oh, this is a ton of work and I don't want to do this yeah. anymore. But a friend of mine, uh, Joe K. Walsh, another great mandolin player, was like, "Hey, you should like just ask the other mandolin players to send in videos every Monday." Uh, and so I was like, "Okay, we'll see how that works." And then, like seven years later, we're still going. Um, like every week, I don't think we've it's really amazing. missed a week since we started. Um, so that's that's still going strong. Like I just posted one this morning. Um, actually, that's like a new track from this record that we just released with the Foreign Landers. I saw um, it. Just it was like fantastic. A, oh, thanks, man. It was so yeah, so it was good. fun. Yeah, it was fun just like doing a a mandolin version of one of those tunes and getting to you know play it with the octave mandolin and the mandolin together. Mm. But um, but yeah, so that was the the beginning of of YouTube for me. And at the time, I think YouTube was not really a serious thing. It was more just like Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Even though those those things have become like really serious, like career professions for people now. It's crazy. Yeah. But um, I just started putting those those things out on a consistent basis and um. It wasn't until the pandemic, really, that I decided to start pursuing it more seriously and start posting some of my own lessons and um, more content and uh, links with this Patreon page. Because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was actually in Northern Ireland with Tabitha. We were still waiting for her green card to come through, even though we were been married for about a year at the time. So I got on like one of the last flights over to Dublin to go be with her right before mm. like the, the travel restrictions came into place. So we were just there for about six months together and didn't have much to do, like no gigs to play and nothing to really work for. So it's like, maybe I'll just like start, you know, doing videos and Tabitha yeah. had gotten this really nice camera at the time. And I'd never worked with anything like that before. So it was a fun way of, you know, killing time, so to speak, while we were yeah, stuck yeah. over there. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it started out just as a thing to do while we're waiting for gigs to happen again. And then quickly, like in about six months time, started to become like a, a full-time focus and, um, and still is right now. Like, um, like since we've moved to the States together, it's, um, it's become kind of like the, the main thing that I do right now. It's just like making videos and trying to yeah. make content for folks online, which has been amazing getting to play mandolin and be mostly at home to not have to travel quite as much as I did before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to say, uh, if you if you've only been doing it for the couple of years, like seriously, um, your, your production is, absolutely outstanding um i i I really wanted to ask you about that like how did you like are you self-taught in this and like because i i even do i i as i said i I, or maybe i didn't i done uh, sound engineering uh, in college not not video of course uh more audio um 
but I've kind of been del- like kind of in and out of this sort of stuff for for years, and I still haven't got video cracked. Uh, like I, I I recently just got a nice camera, and I thought that was literally it. And I've tried to do all the lighting stuff, and I just can't get my head around it. But if you literally have just done this since in like the past two years, you seem to have like cracked it immediately. <laughs> so like, what was what what was your secret, or was it uh, a big learning curve, or what's the crack? Yeah, well, I mean, it was not like automatic for sure. And I'm still figuring it out as as we go. But um, like you can go back to those first few videos that I did, and uh, uh, some of them look terrible, like the, like the coloring, the lighting, you know, the the frame rate stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's all just been a, a a trial and error thing for me. I haven't really gotten any formal education on. It. I would love to go and take some classes, but I feel like um, just with the way the internet is right now, you kind of learn through other resources out there. Like I um. I looked at a lot of YouTube videos and mm. also just YouTube videos on how to make YouTube videos, but also just YouTube videos in general to kind of get the idea of the format and the, yeah. the aesthetic that people go for. Um, so that was a big thing. And then also just trying to do it on a, on a regular basis. I feel like that's been my, um, <laughs> like the, the one saving grace for me, like in my music has just been trying to uh, do something on a consistent basis, like that Mandela yeah. Mondays thing, just doing something every week. You know, none of those, not every one of those videos is going to be good. And I'm sure there's like tons of terrible ones that I did, but just doing it every week gave you an opportunity to make the next one better or, you know, for there to be a good one later on down the road. And I tried to do something similar with like lesson videos where I was trying to post like one or two a week. Um, and I don't know, I'm a huge fan of, there's this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. I don't know if you've heard of that one, Take but it. Yeah, one of the big premises in that book is that quantity is almost always better than quality, especially when you're first getting started in a new discipline. So, yeah. like if you, um, there was a case study in that book where they divided a photography class in half, and half the students were told by the end of the semester, you have to take one perfect photo and you're going to be graded on this assignment. And then the other half of the class was just told, you have to take 100 photos by the end of the semester, and it doesn't matter how good they are. And, you know, at the end of the semester, the best photos came from this half of the group that took a hundred photos because they were just taking a lot more and learning through the process. Um, and, and eventually learning the mechanics and the technique to get something good. Whereas the people who were just worried about the one good photo didn't take as many cause there was so much pressure built up and, um, you know, what they thought was good may not have been good because of the amount of time that they put into it. So I, yeah. I that was like been a huge thing for me with like learning how to work a camera. It's just, um, trial by you know fire so to speak you know trying trying to make a video and seeing how it looks and then the next time you make a video you're gonna know from the mistakes that you made in the first video what to do differently the next time if that makes sense <laughs> of course yeah yeah so that, that, that's what an awful lot of um people that are that, that i've interviewed and spoken to um about youtube i've always said it's just consistency 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 you have to make the first hundred videos and they're going to be terrible first hundred are always going to be terrible but the next the hundred and first that's where you're going to kind of kind of hit exactly yeah yeah that's i mean i've heard that before too and i think it's really true you just have to have to do the work and then you're going to learn along the way yeah so for anyone starting out wanting to um for anyone listening that hasn't actually looked at dave's um youtube channel absolutely do um even your 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 b-roll on on the mandolins and stuff is just it's 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 fantastic but what would you advise anyone that wants to kind of make the style of videos um that you make How, what what where should they start what's the first thing they should go out and get or what should they start with yeah oh for sure um i think um i, I probably neglected on audio and lighting quality at the beginning i think that's maybe those are the most two important things I hear a lot of people say that too. It's not not all about like the big fancy camera because if you don't have like good lighting and good audio, it's mm. not really going to look or sound good. Um, and I think uh, like a good investment is just getting um, like an LED dimmer light. Like I've I've got a big one um, with like a, a, a light dome attached to my uh, my stand behind my desk that I use for videos. And it's just a big diffuse light source that makes videos look a lot better and even if you have one of those and you have like a smartphone you can get like a really good quality video um just with the the extra addition of the light and then the next thing would be like a maybe a good microphone like i've i've got a rode uh i forget what it is like an ntg3 
uh, long broadcasting mic. It's a big pencil mic that you can keep outside the frame of the video. So it's not distracting, but also like there's other great mics too, like the, the sure, what is it? The seven B, the SM seven B. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one too. It looks like you've got an awesome mic there too as well. What is I've that got one? A, this is just a Rode Pod mic. It's, it's, it's like a ninety pound. It's like a ninety pound microphone, and um, yeah, I love it. I've had it for about oh, just about a year and a half now, and it's 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 brilliant. Yeah, and it doesn't have to like cost a whole lot. Even there's oh. ones that you can plug into your phone that. You know, I forget what those like the road micro video micro mic. Um, yeah, it's like a little your... clip on. It's like a little square clip on. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah that, fantastic those little things. They they make a huge difference. Um, and then like once you've got that sorted, then like getting a camera and messing around with the settings can be a fun project. It can also be frustrating, but like mm-hmm. the settings that I've I've I don't know landed on. I feel like less is more sometimes. Like I messed around with a lot of picture profiles and a lot of different um, internal settings like that. But I've just found like keeping the the base settings on this Sony camera that I have is, a, is you know, doing the trick for me. And then I, I usually keep it at like 24 frames per second or 25 for folks over in, in, in the UK and Europe. Um, and I feel like it kind of gets the nice cinematic look that, you know, a lot of people go yeah. for in YouTube videos these days. And then, um, you know, just making sure that the shutter speed is, like twice the amount of your frame per second rate. So like keeping the shutter speed at like one over 50 is usually what I do and um, kind of use the ISO to get the the lighting where I need it to be to bake in properly. And then once you have that, there's not a whole lot that you have to do in post editing for coloring. It's just um, you know, making sure that the, you know, the contrast and the exposure is the way you want it to be. Um, so yeah, yeah that, that, that would be my advice. Like lighting, then audio, and then, you know, figuring out the camera settings that you want to use. Very good. And then do you just like turn on the camera or do you plug it into the computer or anything like that? Yeah. So I um, I just usually record straight to the camera and then I record the audio separately to my computer and kind of sync them up in Premiere Pro afterwards when I'm editing. Um, but yeah, that that's my general approach. Okay, very good. So anyone listening out there that wants to do what David does, go and check out his YouTube channel. And it is as simple as that. I suppose it it, it also comes down to the fact that like what you're filming is very aesthetically pleasing. Like your background is nice and neat and tidy and all those little like all those little things make such a difference. There's no point in going and filming a cover of you playing your fiddle if your room is in an absolute kit behind you. Like Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Cool. So like I I know you've got a couple of, of, of really, really nice instruments and you just recently got your your Octolindo. That yeah, is. that's right. Cool. But what's your um what's your favorite instrument? What's the favorite one that you have? Yeah, um well I just have like three instruments right now. I've got um an old mandolin that I played through high school and college. Um it's called a flat iron mandolin. It's the one kind of hanging up behind me here on the video. Yeah. Um and I've had that one for, I don't know, I guess coming up on like 15 years now. And I still love that instrument. It f- feels more like kind of a, a traditional Gibson sound, which is a big thing for mandolin players. Like the, the yeah. Gibson company kind of uh, started making mandolins in this F model style back in the 1920s. And people are you know often trying to make their mandolin sound more like those original Gibsons. Um, so that one, that one sounds great. It's a little bit quieter, but I still love playing it. And then, my main instrument that I probably you know enjoy playing the most is this Apidius mandolin that I've been playing for, I guess about six or seven years now, and um, it's made by a luthier up in uh, Ontario, Canada, and he just builds them by himself in his workshop. Um, you know, makes small batches. I forget how many he makes, like maybe eight a year or something like that. Oh wow! And um, yeah, he just makes everything by hand, like really amazing attention to detail. I don't think he even uses like CNC machines or any robotics to make the cuts or the wow. the inlay works for his instruments. It's all just handmade. So um yeah, you can just appreciate that looking at it, but also playing it too. Um he uh just has a way about it that I, I've I've really enjoyed um you know just getting to know this instrument uh, over those years. And I played like all around the world with it too. Like all those those mile twelve tours. I took this thing on the road and um, it's been yeah. with me quite a lot of places. Um, and then the most recent edition, like you mentioned, is this Octolindo uh, octave mandolin, which has been super fun. I, um, I've never owned an octave mandolin before, but I've always wanted one. And this project with the Foreign Landers, this new album, was a really good excuse to 
get an octomandolin because we wanted to explore some different sounds. And it's almost like an Irish bazooki, but I, you know, it's a little bit different with the shorter scale length. And yeah. usually the tunings are, you know, more similar to a mandolin. But um, it's been really helpful to like get more of a transatlantic sound, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that, that video you put up uh, today, so for anyone listening in, in the future, today is Monday the 14th of November. So today's uh, Mandolin Monday. Mandolin Monday. Yeah, Mandolin Monday. I don't know why that that's that just sounds weird to me head. It's like there, <laughs> there are two words that are like Mandolin Mondays. Um, today's Mandolin Monday. The, the Octolindo sounds absolutely um, tremendous um, and compliments the, oh, um, the, the, the other Mandolin. Uh, amazingly it's 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 absolutely fantastic and again your camera work and that is just i feel, I really feel like i'm fanboying over you at the moment because you're 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 just I, i'm like I, I just i if i if i could be half as good as you on on the 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 video side of things i would count i would count myself that's that's my job done i'm finished now i'm good i i, I can uh, i can i can rest yeah. easy um that was fun. I've actually got um I, a recent addition to the camera gear stuff is I bought a motorized slider that I was using in see, that video. I wondered. I was like, is that yeah. is that in post that he's done that? Because I could see it just ever so slightly just panning. I was like, that's so cool. I was like, I wonder is that in in post or is that like a a thing in OBS that he does or something like that? But no, that's amazing. Yeah, I um I've got it like on my shelf to the right here. It's just like a maybe a four foot long slider, um, that, you know, just motorized and loops back and forth. And it also has like a, a little bit of a, a panning to it. Like you were saying where, um, the camera's on a, like a spin spinning wheel. So yeah. as it moves back and forth, it turns ever so slightly to get that kind of three dimensional effect, which is nice. Um, so I, we've been using that for like some, some videos that I've been doing, with Tabitha too, where, you know, we're too cheap to hire a cameraman. So we'll just put the camera on a slider. So it looks like someone's moving the camera for us. Which is Absolutely. Great. <laughs> yeah. Work smart or not harder. Speaking of yourself and Tabitha, what are you working on now? Are you working on anything in particular or is, has the new album kind of taken up all your time? Yeah. Th I mean, that's been a big um, push for us these past few months. We were doing actually a lot of touring over in the UK this summer with um, Tabitha's brothers in this other band called Cup of Joe. And Tabitha also played in another bluegrass band over there called Midnight Sky Racer. Up until recently, they just kind of started a hiatus for a while. But um, so we were pretty slammed this summer. And then when we got back in July, that was kind of our main focus, just recording this record. And we actually recorded all here at the house in this room. It's kind of like our studio. We have a little bit of sound treatment and enough to get by as far as the gear goes um yeah. so that was a fun experience first time we've ever like really recorded a record on our own and we got to play a lot of the instruments too like not only mandolin octomandolin but i also got to play bass on all the tracks which was kind of a first oh. for me and um and tabitha played guitar and banjo we got some special guests on there too so um all that was a, a big focus and a lot of work and it all just kind of came to a head this past weekend we released it on saturday so feels like yeah we've we've got that behind us now and hopefully we can you know focus on some some new projects i think um what's coming up next is we'll be doing a tour of the states in february with a full band which is fun um which is a first for us we've usually just done shows the past couple of years since we started this group as a duo yeah. um but we're hiring a, a bass player actually my old bandmate nate sabbat from mile 12 is going to play some shows with us in the in the winter and a great fiddle player named julian pinelli who's going to be joining us too. And we'll be playing a lot of songs from that record and some new stuff around mostly the Southeastern States. Like we're, we're going to the station Inn in Tennessee, which will be amazing. And Eddie's attic in Georgia and um, some places in North Carolina and Virginia. Um, so that that's uh, going to be a big focus, just like getting out there and sharing this music with folks. And we hope to start working on a new record sometime soon. You know, now, now that we've um, kind of, again, trial, trial by fire, you know, that now that we've recorded a record from home, we have some ideas on how to do it differently or better next time. And yeah. um, I want to upgrade our rig a bit more and uh, make things sound even better for the next record. So um, I'm sure that'll, that'll be in the future soon. Amazing. Well, be best of luck with it. Um, let's start wrapping up here now and we'll head into a quick fire round. Um, as I said, the quick fire round is just, it's just a bit of crack. Okay. So, this is one I've been asking lately, and it's kind of not caught anyone out in the way that I wanted it to. But uh, no, that that sounds terrible. <laughs> what is your job title? Oh, I think um, I would hope musician first, but right now it feels more like a content creator, which is 
been a fun change of pace over the past couple of years, getting more into that with the videography and audio engineering stuff and figuring out how to create engaging content for people online. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I would hope to be like musician, YouTuber, um, <laughs> person i don't know <laughs> i know it's 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 weird it's like it's it's kind of this like it, it almost feels like a made-up job um and i'm not i'm not uh, please don't take that as uh, no, as me yeah. put, putting it down but you know what i mean like i've said it in every single episode so far and people who have listened to every single episode are going to be so so sick and tired of me saying this but content creator youtuber um gear demo these jobs didn't exist when me and you were were learning how to play our instruments on YouTube 15, 20 years ago. It just didn't exist. And mm. when we were growing up, everyone wanted to be a rock star, but this is now the modern day equivalent of it. Um and it's it is, it's so it's so strange. You grow up learning to learning to play an instrument, thinking, Oh, I'm gonna be playing with you too by the time I'm 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 twenty-one. But no, I'm actually sitting in my room, not leaving the house because I'm making YouTube videos for my 10 million followers that are all over <laughs> the world. It's mad. It's mental. Um, yeah. Like even when I look at the the places where people listen to this podcast, I've got people that listen to my podcast in Chile. Like wow. who in the hell in Chile is listening to me? Hello to the one person out there in Chile that is listening to me. Thank you so, so much for listening. But it's 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 mind boggling. It's mental. Anyway, we're getting <laughs> getting off topic here now. Uh, <laughs> is there any words that you find hard pronouncing? Any words? That's a good one. Um, yeah, well, I was trying to think of a word the other day. What was this? It was like, um, uh, well, Tabitha like has given me a bunch of insight into Northern Irish verbology. Uh, I love that word "crack." That's really fun. But th- she's got the like, a bunch of other ones. She says the word bluthered, which I've had trouble pronouncing. Oh, bluthered. Yeah, bluthered. That's how you say it. Yeah. yeah With like a T, yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. How do you spell it? It's like B-L-U-T-H. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're meant to spell it. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of if you're bluthered, you're kind of not really in any sort of, it's, 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 it's like a state of being completely outside of any other state of being. Bluthered <laughs> is just, um, oh God, if you're bluthered, you're raw off entirely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the word I have trouble saying for sure. Fair enough, fair enough. I I I have trouble pronouncing bluthered, but you look at anyway. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a really really good one. Um, if you could be any Disney character, who would you be? Oh, probably Aladdin. I'd oh, say. cool. Yeah, I like Aladdin. Why Aladdin? I know he's got like a pet monkey and a magic carpet. <laughs> you know, that's pretty fun. He's got he, he's got his life sorted. He knows exactly know. where he's going. Definitely. Class. I love it. I love it. Um, cool. Here's a little bit of a, a deep one. What would your 12-year-old self think of you? I probably wouldn't recognize me, I imagine. Oh, really? Like, with a beard and, and all that stuff. Uh, I suppose, yeah. But uh, I don't know. Would he think, think you're cool? I think he would just be a little bit confused and and surprise but also like you know we'd probably hang out i imagine you know play some Nintendo <laughs> together i don't know we'll see <laughs> i wasn't cool. even into mandolin at that time so i i think like it would just be a bit of a, a left field um you know encounter but it would be it would be interesting that would be so yeah. fun it'd be some crack trying to explain the 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 job title of content creator to 12 year old Dave. oh my yeah. goodness madness um and finally the million pound question or the million dollar question as you would probably say what would you be doing if you weren't musician slash content creator slash youtube person Ooh, that's a good question i haven't thought about that as much as i should but um i i think i would probably try to be involved in some type of art form i i actually used to love drawing growing up and i have an old um project i think i did like right when I was in college, I had a friend who wanted me to draw a comic book for him and I was really into comic oh, books cool. growing up. So that was a, a really rewarding pro- project. I was just out of college, I think, and didn't have any work or anything to do. So I just drew all day for about a month and um, I haven't done much of that since. So that would be a fun thing to get back into. I don't know like if that's, I'm sure that like if you can make a career as a mandolin player, you probably make a career as a comic book artist. Absolutely. I, 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 I was exactly the same. I used to love drawing when I was a kid. I used to love, um, 
when Lord of the Rings came out and you got yeah. the, the the four the four DVD editions and I used to look at the I used I used to nearly watch the special features more than I used to watch um the film. I used to want to go to and live in New Zealand and work for the wet workshop yeah. building swords all day. Oh um, but all the like concept art that I drew for like all the ring rates and all the orcs and the oh, that's, I know stuff. About. They, they were amazing stuff. but i used to just pause the dvd and sit and try and draw that so um i think that's a really really good one um i'm gonna go and try and draw something now nice yeah you know no so uh, uh, in in this this past hour i did not expect to be talking about zelda uh nintendo drawing or uh any of these or lord of the rings or any of these other things <laughs> never mind talking about mandolin um but listen david let's finish up there before we go where can people find you um plug everything and anything you want yeah totally um i i think all all the stuff online is under the moniker david benedict mandolin you can find the youtube channel i have a website and um patreon page and all the stuff with the foreign landers. We've got, you know, all the, the social media pages too, and you can find the new record on all the streaming platforms. So thanks so much for checking it out. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that all of that is linked in the description. David, thank you very, very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, likewise, very Thanks for having me. That was the Music Career Show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.